Welcome back, everyone, to the Men on a Mission podcast. I'm your host, Brad Richard, and shortly we will be starting our next episode. We will be providing you tools, resources, and information that you can use to make your life just a little bit better. But before we do that, let's honor our country, and then we'll begin the podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to the Men on a Mission podcast. I'm your host, Brad Richard, and today is May 31st. Uh, this is a, a May, the month of May-centered uh, podcast. Uh, it is, uh, we're going to be having a conversation about PTSD uh, during the month of May, and it is Mental Health Awareness Month, and even though we are recording this on the 31st of May, it will air in June. Um, today, uh, I have two guests on with me. I have Dr. Siegel, uh, Rebecca Siegel on with me and Brian Buckley. Uh, they're both on the podcast with me today. And I'm going to start off by telling you a little bit about each of these folks. And uh, bear with me uh, while I try to read through their bio. And if I make a mistake, I apologize to both of them ahead of time. So, uh, with that being said, uh, Dr. Rebecca Siegel is a clinical psychiatrist and author of the newly published book, The Brain on Cannabis, What You Should Know About Recreational and Medical Marijuana, a comprehensive and myth-busting guide on marijuana use and its effects on the brain. The book also addresses how, uh, how to effectively talk to young people about recreational marijuana use based on her work as a physician who specializes in, a, in the assessment and treatment of anxiety, mood disorders, and ADHD. And I believe she is also uh, treating PTSD as well. So that is Dr. Siegel's bio. Let me tell you a little bit about Brian Buckley. As a special operations team commander with the Marine Raiders, Brian led multiple teams in deployment to Operation Enduring Freedom, Trans Sahara Africa, Southeast Asia and Operation Enduring Freedom, Afghanistan, Helmand Province. Develop rapport with numerous host nation forces, enhance capability and capacity within the host nation units, and briefed U.S. ambassadors. Additionally, he led a 20-man Marine raid team to Afghanistan that mentored, trained, and conducted over 40 combat operations with an Afghanistan Special Operations Battalion. Brian also deployed twice to Operation Iraqi Freedom with Marine Infantry and Marine Reconnaissance. So I don't know if I botched that, but uh, those are their bios. Tell you a little bit about uh, both of them. And uh, we're going to start. Uh, Dr. Siegel, I believe you're on the line with us, correct? That I am. Well, uh, thank you for being on the Men on a Mission podcast. And uh, just go ahead and tell us a little, um, if you can kind of fill in the blanks, uh, that was a short bio and, and your, your bio is much longer than that, but what um, brought you to the, the specialty or brought you to um, the issue or the treatment of medical marijuana and kind of take it from there and, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Sure, absolutely. So, well, first of all, thank you for having me. And also, um, thank you for, like, 
and Brian, thank you for everything you've done. <laughs> uh, it, I am very, I am very humbled. So um, definitely, it has been a an incredible journey for me. The journey still continues. Um, I I am a practicing psychiatrist, as you read. Um, I've been doing it about twenty years, and um, you know that meant I was treating a lot of people with you know medication, right, pharmaceutical medication, and other types of things, but. Um, cannabis wasn't really in my like my wheelhouse, right, as a, um, a therapeutic option until um, uh, one of my favorite patients, I call her patient zero, um, basically asked me, um, you know, she what she showed me, she said, she said, I no longer need a specific type of, um, you know, medication for sleep um, and showed me a, a photo of a, of, a, of a cannabis chocolate bar that she said had changed her life. And you know, had gotten it in in Colorado, and this was in 2015. And um, so, you know, I at first it, it it really obviously piqued my curiosity, and um, you know, I I didn't uh, I had to learn a whole lot, right? And I had to educate myself, and because I knew that if people were coming to me, patients and clients, you know, to ask questions about it, and if this started rolling, you know, the the um, once that's once she came to me, you know, I it like it started um, like an avalanche of curiosity for me and educating myself and learning how certainly how I could I could exist in it in New York City, right in New York State where I'm from, but also then it became the the larger issue of you know how to how to increase people's awareness about cannabis. Cannabis is not a one size you know fits all um, you know therapeutic option. It's you know it's, it's been um, you know, it's an illegal substance, uh, you know, federally, right? And it's, you know, it has a, a, a incredible uh, history of, you know, how it's been used at, for therapeutic purposes. But when, you know, the U.S. government is is very, um, you know, not not particularly behind it, and you know, it's it's very complicated. And so I I wanted to know more about it, certainly for myself, for my patients, and then that. You know that also, um, in my mind, that's how the the book sort of started to form. You know, I, I had so many questions. I started going and doing my research and going to conferences and actually, you know, looking at real scientific research behind things while I, while people were coming to me with questions about how to, you know, how I could help them, right? So that it it sort of took shape um, through that. Why do you, why do you think? Um... What's the number one reason that the federal government seems to be so anti-medical marijuana? I think that's a very complicated question, <laughs> right? <laughs> and and I think that it's definitely, um, I mean, it has a lot to do with, with you know, how in the past it was a, you know, uh, certainly while I was growing up, you know, where it was the, the cannabis was a, um, you know, there was the war on drugs. It was, you know, this is what it can do to you. The the perception that it was, you know, not really thought of as a therapeutic option. And that's where, you know, I did the most changing. I I realized, you know, when as more and more patients came to me, you know, and they said, like, it's changed my life. This is what, how it's helping me. Right. And so I was much more open minded to, um, you know, to, to learning and understanding and seeing how it could be helpful. You know, it, it was not a, um, you know, like the federal government is a, it, it caught up in bureaucracy, the, you know, the VA, all kinds of things. It's very difficult. But when you hear people, it's like in individual stories. That's how I, you know, I came to it, hearing people and how it had helped them and also how for some, how it didn't help them. Right. But, you know, I definitely think people need options. People definitely um, need help <laughs> with for all kinds of things. And I mean, the main, you know, there were there were many reasons why people would come to me, but certainly PTSD, chronic pain, all things like that were two of the major major reasons, you know, why people were coming to me and asking me about it. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, as recent as. In this last week, um, <clears throat> excuse me, they had the uh, they had the shooting 
uh, in in Texas. Well, they, they, they've had two shootings in Texas. And the conversation have, has come up or it's been forced to uh, for people to look at, you know, mental mental illness and mental health. And uh, in my opinion, working with as many vet, veterans that I have that I've worked with personally, because uh, I do mentoring and, and coaching and I work with veterans specifically, um, I think mental health in America is a much larger issue than um, than drug abuse or the war on drugs or any other, um, you know, uh, campaign that that is out there. I, I, you know, in my opinion, I think mental health is is kind of it, it, it kind of leads the pack of all those other things. And I think that should be the focus of of the country as a whole on mental health instead of all these different, you know, all these different side side avenues and um, pretty much every news story that we hear does. I mean, if you if you break it down, they all lead back to some form of mental health uh, or or you know or a, a mental issue or an imbalance or whatever the case may be. And so, um, you know, I know that you are using uh, the medical marijuana with you know uh, anxiety. Um, mood disorders, Correct. ADHD, PTSD. Um, what What do you think? What What's your opinion on just the general population having access to it um, f- for you know chronic mental illness? <laughs> you know, and and a lot of uh, a lot of people that maybe are getting treatment from a, a psychiatrist or a, a counselor. Um, or they're in therapy. I've met so many people that have been in therapy for years, and uh, and and I've had to break the news to them that if they've been in therapy, you know, for years and years and years, it's not working. <laughs> Absolutely, I think that exactly that people need to have options, therapeutic options. That means right therapy, all kinds of things, right? That will help. But I think that you know, if, if people have found something that they think has helped, but they're doing it in a safe and, uh, you know, a moderate, you know, like it's all, I say, transparency, moderation, understanding, you know, being aware, you know, there are a lot of people who, who come to this with a lot of understanding about cannabis. Then there's, there are many others who do not have much of a clue. And, you know, like I definitely see my, my role as helping educate people like you know the safety of it the you know the options that are out there for people um you know you don't want to um do things illegally you know you want to be safe right because anything um done you know in a not regulated way can can be unsafe right and lots of like people taking medication that is not um you know the way doctors would prescribe it can be very dangerous. So it's, it's not just cannabis. It's not, you know, it's, it's anything. But I think that doctors, physicians have a, a real, um, like, uh, there's such a need for, for you know, mental health awareness. They absolutely, you know, like, this is a huge crisis in our country. And I think that, um, you know, like, providing people with options is, is so, so important. If you feel like you have no options, it's absolutely like you're going to do a nosedive into, you know, like feeling much, much worse. You know, cannabis can absolutely be a, an option for some, but you need to be able to understand what it might do and how to, you know, what, what is safe. Mm-hmm. Um, how much do you think, and I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll ask Brian the question as well, but how much do you think um, plays a part as far as the amount of profit or the market value compared to pharmaceuticals? The ph- ph- pharmaceutical business compared to the cannabis business? <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's, it's, I'm not so sure how to comment on that because I think that like it's very it's a complicated issue for sure. I definitely do not rush to you know like slam people with medication, you know pharmaceutical right. medication. But 
um, you know, it, it, a lot of people want a more natural approach, right? But also, like, so my my the issue for physicians and I, is the way I see it is that um, you know pharmaceuticals have gone through supposedly you know FDA testing, right? They've been they've you know whereas cannabis because it's federally illegal, um, you know, cannot be tested in that way. And so physicians are not getting educated about it. They're not aware. Um, they may be very afraid, you know, to think think of it as an option, as a you know, a type of therapeutic option. So that's right. where my my thought is that that cannabis in some way needs to be federally legalized so that the, like physicians can get behind it. Right. I, I guess so that you need to be able to do the te- the 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 controlled research studies, you know, the evidence-based medicine that physicians want in order to feel safe about like actually like making this recommendation for their patients. Mm-hmm. I, I guess where I was going with that question, and I know it's a loaded question, so sorry. <laughs> it is a but, loaded question. But I, I think there is an there's an element, there's an aspect to it as far as you know the pharmaceutical industry um is a very profitable industry and i think when it comes to medical marijuana that can be a less expensive alternative in some cases and i don't know if the profit margins are as much you know so i know that i i think that brings a lot of reluctancy um with with the whole approval of it in in certain uh circumstances you know so um, well, that's- sadly, the political, financial, and medical have to all be like lumped together. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. that's just unfor- very unfortunate for doctors like myself who really you know want to think about it in a, a a way that is used in an appropriate, safe, you know, uh, aware way. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we we have another five to seven minutes with with you. Um, here's another question. That I think the listeners would would you know like to I hear would, your an- answer. I would, but I would um, love if Brian had a, had some thoughts on it. I'd love his. <laughs> he's, he seems to look like he would like to, to to add add a lot to it to the conversation. Oh sure, yeah, um, yeah, because um, yeah, Brian, you can jump in anytime. Uh, we're gonna kind of get into your story and get into uh, into your side of this um, in the second segment. But yeah, feel free to jump in, um, and you can address this question too. The I guess my next question would be is when a person, you know, is prescribed and they they try uh, the medical marijuana for various conditions that they may have, mental health issues they may have, what what is the actual effect? what what is the me- medical marijuana doing to their to their brain, their nervous system, uh, their heart? what? You know what? What? What is the research found that it that? You know what's the beneficial event that takes place when it is brought in when it's brought into the body? Man, you you do like to ask me very complicated questions, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a doctor. <laughs> because, <laughs> well, because there are a lot of um, you know system body body systems that are impacted by whether it's cannabis, whether it's pharmaceutical, whether it's you know like food or, or, you know, I mean, anything that you take into your body is going to impact, you, you know, anything you take into your, you know, your body is going to impact your brain as well, which people need to understand. And so, like, what has the research shown that, you know, but again, like, this is with the caveat that I definitely would love more well-designed, larger studies that have, you know, that use, that that are, that are um, going to you know, come out, come out with real guidelines for me to understand what happens when, you know, when somebody smokes or vapes or it uses edibles or tinctures, they, they, you know, that all those things are different. But so it's, you know, first, if you're smoking or vaping, right, the, to think of, you know, like first is the lungs, you know, it's hitting the lungs, right? You're, you're inhaling. And so that's, you know, that's something to think about. You know, do you, are, if people have lung issues, or chronic lung issues, things like that, you know, you might not want to do that because that can impact, uh, you know, and make things potentially worse. Um, but then once it's, you know, in your body um, and impact, like, you know, it then, you know, is um, it 
crosses the blood-brain barrier and that it may um, it, it has impact on a number of different structures in the in the brain right so that's sort of what we would want to think about and you know whether the it's complicated because we, you know, we're talking about, are we talking about mature brains or are we talking about brains that are still developing? You know, your, your brain is still developing until you're in your mid twenties. Right. So that's where I say that, you know, that's, that's one of my very strong points that, that it's very hard for me to certainly, you know, recommend recreational cannabis for anybody under the age, you know, while their brains are still developing. Right. So, and also, you know, that that's the other thing about medical, even medical cannabis. There, you know, like I, I have, um, I have certified people for it for, you know, very specific conditions. Right. With for for, you know, people above, you know, 21. That's what you. That's the the age that you you, know, you need to be to, to be certified for you know to to go into a medical dispensary. Right. But so, um, you know, it, it's it might impact things like the frontal lobe, right? That's the the um, the decision-making, the impulse control area, the attention and focus area. Um, but it, it gets even more complicated when people say, well, it helps me focus or it helps my ADD, right? Whereas some of the research that's come out says that it might impact it, you know, in a less than positive way. So that's why I say, well, cannabis is not um, one size fits all. It's very individual, and we may have to look at it that way. And there's also a huge, a very, very big difference for those who are using it in a uh, like a, a, a moderation versus chronic users. And uh, you know, you have to you have to do a little bit more deeper looking into. You know, like uh, I say, it, it may be a paradigm shift in that. You know, we cannot uh, sort of say you know it's like it's going to impact everybody in one way that's maybe not the case like each person's brain is different and so how that it, how it impacts the individual can be very different that like how it would impact me would be very different than how it might impact ryan or you right and and right whether it's age or you know medical conditions that you're struggling with or why you're using it, it you know and things like that you know these are all things that i have to think about as a physician Mm-hmm. Now, um, we're, we're coming up on a break here and then we're going to bring Brian in um, and then, you know, both you can can chime in um, in the second segment. But just one last thing I wanted to ask you, Dr. Siegel, um, when it comes to medical marijuana, are your clients that you're working with, do they uh, do they have to be on that? for a undetermined amount of time. Like I I work with several people that they have a, a set of pharmaceutical meds that they've been told that they have to be on it for the rest of their lives. Do we have enough research, um, enough case studies to determine if this is something that someone has to be, um, be you know, be on or, or taking for an, Un, un, undetermined amount of time or or is it is it a short-term situation um it's a it's a, a, a very interesting question also um i mean i i sort of i loved what montel williams i was on the montel williams let's be blunt podcast not long ago and you know he he's um definitely used cannabis for his um his ms you know his uh, very you know severe um debilitating illness uh, chronic illness, right? And what he said best was that, like, you know, how he used cannabis, um, you know, 10 years ago or longer ago versus how he uses it now has evolved. And, you know, depending on sort of what, so that, I mean, yes, that's what, how I kind of think of whether it's pharmaceutical or whether it's cannabis, um, you know, that that it may not be a, a lifetime thing, but it may be, you know, used for a specific purpose or a specific amount of time, and you know that that's uh, like that may be what's needed. You know, again, like you said, I I definitely think more research is needed for that to to have you know that like come out and say yes, I definitely think it you know they people may need to be on it for the rest of their lives. I'm not sure, but I think that you know what we know right now is that um, you know people evolve and grow and they're, you know, 
like their use of the medications or, or uh, you know, plant-based medicines, all kinds of things evolve over time. Um, I think for each case, it's different, right? And definitely dealing with a chronic illness is, is you know, more, way more complicated. Mm-hmm. But I would, I would always say that like need, the need is to do more research for sure. So we Absolutely. can say safely. Well, um, we're going to come up on a quick break, and I want to remind the listeners that you are the author of the book, The Brain on Cannabis, What You Should Know About Recreational and Medical Marijuana. Um, so we will have a, we'll have all your links, you know, in the show notes, but we'll definitely have a link so that the listeners can get a copy of your book, because uh, I think there's going to be a lot of listeners that want to know more or um would like this as a possible option. And uh, that's another question that we'll get into as far as if if it's not allowed in the state they live in, what options do they have? That's another loaded question, I, I guess. But um, just stick with me. Um, uh, Brian, we're gonna bring you in after the break and uh, we'll be back after a short break. We are talking with Dr. Rebecca Siegel on medical marijuana and recreational use of cannabis for uh, a variety of different uh, anxiety and mood disorders. Uh, PTSD uh, also is what we're talking about uh, today. So, um, and, we're ta- and we'll be talking with Brian Buckley when we get back. So stay with me and uh, we're gonna take a short break and we'll be back shortly. Welcome our new sponsor, Scars and Stripes Coffee Company. They empower veterans to build their own business using their e-commerce platform. When you purchase from Scars and Stripes Coffee, you are buying from a veteran, and your purchase directly impacts the men and women who have served our country. Do more than say, thank you for your service. Order today and empower a veteran. Use vet code BRADRICHARD at scarsandstripescoffee.com. That's scarsandstripescoffee.com. Welcome back, everyone. That was a uh, short sponsor break we are back this is episode 69 and we are having a conversation about ptsd during this month of may which is mental health awareness month the first segment we were talking with dr siegel um her background her book that she has recently written the brain on cannabis and uh, we also have another individual on with us brian buckley Uh, brian welcome i wanted to bring you into the second segment dr siegel will chime in here um, and, and we'll just, uh, kind of, you know, uh, we'll, we'll go at this, you know, a team, uh, a team approach. So welcome, Brian. Thank you. Great to be here. Uh, it's, it's nice to have you here. I did read your bio, uh, in the beginning. And so, uh, I, I don't want to go back over that as much, but can you tell the listeners your experience? Um, you have, have you, um, been prescribed medical uh, cannabis, and um, are are you a patient? You know, and yeah, I am a patient of cannabis. Um, you know, in reality, you know, my entire life growing up, I was in athletics, so <clears throat> never really looked at anything like towards cannabis or anything of that nature. Uh, then, obviously, in the military, it is a big no go to use cannabis as being a Schedule One narcotic. So when I returned from uh, combat and I uh, left the Marine Corps, I was designated as 100% disabled by the VA, uh, having post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, and I was also wounded in Afghanistan. So, uh, you know, I got some metal still stuck in my body, all that good stuff. And for me, really, my body was kind of at war with itself. I just was not able to sleep. Um, You know, it was kind of hard for me. You know, I always tell people, First thing I think about when I wake up in the morning is war, and the last thing I think about before I go to bed is war. It's just something that's part of me. And it was finally when I got introduced to cannabis, my body finally went to peace, and I got a good night of sleep. And that's when I really thought, like, hey, this is something special. You know, and there's some great veteran advocacy groups out there, and they're doing a lot of great lobbying efforts. But I wanted to see what we could do to help out the people on Capitol Hill to federally legalized uh, medical cannabis. So had the opportunity to talk with some members of Congress and I said, what would you guys need to get this into the VA medical system? 
And they said, you better go get that and go get American doctors and you're going to have a good case. So we formed a partnership with a firm out of Israel called Niamedic Healthcare and Research Services, as well as the University of California at Irvine. And we got approved for what they call an institutional review board, meaning we've been cleared to conduct human trials with whatever we're studying. So our first uh, research will be to see if medical cannabis can reduce the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. And um, the gentleman who's leading our steering committee is a man named Dr. Victor Novak. At one point, he was in charge of Harvard's Clinical Research Institute. Uh, he studied underneath Dr. Mashulam, and just a great guy. He knows how to kind of work with the FDA, so we're kind of following his lead. And you know, nice thing is we're a little bit bullish about the how positive we think the results will be, is because Niamedic has already published in PubMed, and they showed that cannabis can reduce uh, post-traumatic stress symptoms. When it comes to the VA, okay, um, I, I'm an Army vet of seven years. I'm familiar with the VA. Um, does the VA, the VA doctors, are they currently prescribing that to their patients? No, they cannot, since it is a Schedule One narcotic, uh, which means it has no medical benefit and it's highly addictive. Uh, to put that in perspective, cocaine is a Schedule Two, so in theory, we look at cannabis as more dangerous than cocaine. So. Um, wow. But things are starting to change. I mean, you kind of look at what happened during COVID. I'm in California, and cannabis got deemed essential uh, because of the medical benefits. So you're kind of like, hey, you guys can't take that one back. You're kind of admitting there's something here that it can help out on the medicinal side. But, you know, you talk to VA doctors, um, you know, off the record kind of thing, and they get it. I mean, I think they're doing the best they can with what they have, but they are very much interested to see what medical cannabis can do versus prescribing maybe some vets are taking up to 15 pills a day. And one of the people who was working on the UC Irvine staff, she was a former VA doctor. And when we started talking about how bad opiates were and we have an opiate epidemic, they cut off her patients right away. I mean, there was no winding down period. They just showed up at the pharmacy hoping to get their opiates and they said no more. And two of them ended up committing suicide. And she's very much, uh, she's very happy to be part of this study because she's like, I think there's really something here and a lot of untapped potential. Uh, we just got to prove it with data and the data won't lie. Yeah. You brought up, uh, the two veterans that committed suicide with the staggering number that we know of each day, it, you know, 22, one day, 20, another 24, another, but around 22 a day, uh, is the number that you hear of veterans committing suicide and the mental health issue in the veteran community is so huge that this as an alternative or this as a course of treatment um, needs to be expedited. You know, really what do they have to lose when it comes to treating more vets with with this? Um, you know, there, I, I think the pharmaceutical aspect of it when it comes to veterans, uh, I might, you know, like you, I, I know a lot of veterans that are, are on many different medications, um, many a day. And, uh, you know, that, and that, that's keeping them functioning, but it's not really keeping them out of that dark place that so many of them are going to right now. And so, uh, uh, you know, I mean, good luck to you and 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 uh, and the work that you're doing with uh, with this study and with with this group of people. Now, what's the name of the group of people that you are working with? Uh, the Israeli group is called Niamedic Healthcare and Research Services, and then the American side, who will be our principal investigators, will be UC Irvine uh, Health. And so, basically, I'm hitting every check in the checkbox I can that Congress said, they're like, go get data. The Israelis will take care of that. Go get American doctors. They will validate everything that we're doing. So essentially it'll be the Israeli doctors working with U.S. veterans while the American doctors uh, watch and write down and say yay or nay to what, what's actually happening. And, you know, to kind of go back to your thing on mental health and the veteran suicide rate, there's a really alarming study that Boston University put out in June of 2021. Now I'm going to add 13 more to the uh, 
to the killed in action count due to the whole debacle we had in Afghanistan last August. But during the global war on terrorism, uh, let's just say September 2001, we have lost 7,070 troops on the battlefield. During that same period, we've lost nearly 31,000 active duty and veterans to suicide. So if you think about it, it's more dangerous for us to be in America than it is patrolling the streets of Fallujah, Iraq, or operating in the Helmand River Valley of Afghanistan. And that's really, truly alarming. And that's where you got to kind of look at this mental health issue that we're going through is, you know, I, again, talk about how much I think about war. That is my demon. You're never going to get rid of it. You just got to learn to live above it. And these men and women, unfortunately, couldn't overcome this demon and, you know, thought their only alternative was to take their own life. So with us just having Memorial Day yesterday, obviously, that's a day that we think about the men and women who went forward and died on the battlefield for us. But I also think we need to kind of wrap in the veterans who've returned from combat and lost their lives here due to what they went through in combat with the post-traumatic stress. I, I agree 100% on that. The, those numbers are staggering. Um, they're very, they make me very angry um, and, and very uh, troubled you know, by that. Uh, they're very believable. And I'm going to, uh, Dr. Siegel, um, question for you, a veteran now, for them to be able to get um, medical marijuana as a course of treatment, they have to go outside of the VA. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. So they have to have their own independent insurance. Um the VA is not paying for anything. I mean, you know, as they're far on their as I'm own. aware, no, yeah, they do not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Insurance, regardless, won't cover cannabis. I mean, that's coming straight out of your pocket. That if you want to go get that medicine. Okay. Uh, um. Yeah, that's just it's just nuts. I mean, it's just it's it's crazy, and those um. Those numbers and the point that you made, you know, that more veterans are dying on. American soil than they did overseas. Um, that should be just a huge wake-up call to so many, and it's not, um, which is unfortunate, um, you know, to say the least. Uh, tell us, Brian, your um, now your personal experience with it. Um, what? How how long have you been? Um, how long have you been using, you know, medical cannabis? Yeah, I, I started uh, using medical cannabis in 2016. Um, you know, I pretty much use it just for medicinal reasons. Uh, I'm not a guy who gets up and utilizes cannabis. It's usually for nighttime. Um, I kind of have a little routine. I might kind of have a couple hits on my vape pen uh, prior to dinner to kind of warm up my endocannabinoid system. And then before I go to bed, I might have a couple more hits off my vape pen and that usually does a trick to, you know, put me down and keep me down. And if I have to get up in the middle of the night to use a restroom, it's not a problem for me to go back to sleep versus, you know, before where I might be watching Sports Center for like two hours just trying to finally fall back to sleep. So it's been really beneficial. And that's kind of some of the things that we're working with when I'm dealing with Congress. And I'm working with both the Senate and the House and both Democrats and Republicans. I'm just attacking this problem like a Marine. I'm very apolitical. It's just we want to accomplish a mission. And you know, what, I, what I'm finding with Republicans are is they're very much kind of still Reagan Republicans, like we were just talking about the drug war, and they just think drugs are bad. I think we need to get to a point saying drugs aren't necessarily bad, but drug abuse is bad. And the way this study that we are going to have is it's all going to be microdosing. It will either be available in a pill or tincture form, just due to that's the only things that have been through clinical trials. And we're going to have a couple of variants here, like a daytime variant. It might be a, a 1 THC to 300 CBD. But what the Israelis have told me is they have not seen as of yet that CBD by itself has the effect that a little bit of THC has. The THC is essentially your engine that can drive the medicine into your endocannabinoid system and allow it to do its work. You know, our nighttime variant will be cranked up a little bit higher in THC because they're finding that veterans kind of need that kind of euphoric feeling to help them get some sleep and kind of just, you know, turn down the music a little bit. 
So I think it's going to be a very digestible way for people in Congress to kind of understand how we're going about this. We're not going to be like, oh, everyone's going to rip bong hits and just kind of sit on their couch all day. No, that's not it. But we have to be realistic about how this medicine can work. And I think it's going to, again, generate some very positive results uh, once we uh, complete the study. Let I me it, go ahead. It's, it's important to understand that not everybody wants to get high. They want to get relief. And so when you think of a, that, you know, it, like using it as a therapeutic option, it may not be right for, for some or all, it may be right, you know, it might be right for some, not all. But I think that like what, what Ryan is saying is that people are thoughtfully looking into how to go about this and, you know, providing real, um, you know, controlled trials so that doctors can get behind it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the thought that I that I had um, just a second ago, I, I got it back. <laughs> um, you know, I look at. Well, let me ask you this, uh, Brian. In in your opinion, how many veterans are, you know, since they don't have access to it, or they, or possibly they can't afford, you know, to have access to the medical marijuana? How many veterans do you think are using just the street marijuana? Well, you know, I think that's complicated. It, you know, if you look at states where cannabis is legal, both medical and recreational, I, you know, I always tell people there's a safety concern here. Mm -hmm. And if you're buying stuff off the streets, it's not going through a third party state test. And you have no idea what you're putting into your body. The, you know, the stuff that you can buy on the adult use market or the medical market, you know, I'll use California, for example, you have to send that to a third party state tester to ensure that it's a, it can be consumed by humans. And, you know, we went through a little bit of a vape crisis, if you will, about two years ago, where people were buying some uh, cannabis that was, uh, the, the oil that was cut with some really bad things, and people's lungs were blowing up or lungs were filling up with metal, and it was terrible. And it didn't come from a legal market. Everything in California that people were impacted came from an illicit shop. So I always encourage people to go to actual legal shops because you're going to know what you're putting in your body. Um, you know, people that are in states or veterans that are in states that do not have a cannabis program, yeah, they're kind of on their own. And, you know, hopefully, you know, some are doing home grows, which is great agrotherapy for veterans. Sometimes that's just someone deal with people and they like to take care of a plant all day. And it's just very therapeutic for them. But that's a real big concern. And that's why you're kind of looking at our government of what bills would make the most sense. I mean, I'm going to go on a little tangent here, but you got the Moore Act that just passed the House for a second time. That bill is no good. I mean, it literally does not deschedule it. It only decriminalizes it. So essentially the government's saying what you're doing is illegal. We're just not going to arrest you. And it goes into a 5% federal tax that turns into an 8% tax after year three. And that has no relief on anything when we're dealing with things like tax code 280E and people are in the cannabis business, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about there. Then you get Chuck Schumer's bill where I don't even know if it has a name. I'm just going to call it like the Taximus Maximus. I mean, they want a 25% federal tax. And again, doesn't decriminalize it, doesn't remove it from a schedule, which makes it very hard to do research. And that, again, if you look at California, consumers are paying 40 to 60% tax on their cannabis. You add another 25% you're just blowing up the illicit market at that point. But one bill that I think people need to pay attention to, and she's actually a Republican and she's a freshman congresswoman out of South Carolina is uh, Representative Nancy Mace, and her bill is called the State Reform Act. And basically it would uh, legalize cannabis, it would remove it from the schedule, it would allow VA doctors to prescribe cannabis, and it comes in with 3% federal tax, which is very doable once you get rid of tax code 280E. But it also allows the states to decide how they want to implement their cannabis programs. So, you know, people need to kind of pay attention to a couple of these things because it's going to be really important. And it's only a matter of time. I just hope we don't mess it up where we make it so bad like we did in California and we blow up the illicit market. I mean, to give you an example, I think in 2021, it's estimated that the legal market did about $4 billion in sales, where the illicit market did about $8 billion in sales. And again, wow. what's dangerous about the illegal side, you have no idea what you're putting into your body. And I just tell people, stay away from the street weed because you have no idea what you're going to do. And it could be more harmful than good. Right. Yeah. But, you know, fentanyl was was in the in the back of my head. I mean, I, I know that's that's an issue. Um, 
where um, a lot of it does have fentanyl, you know, uh, um, embedded into it. Um, there's been a lot of young people that have died from it. And um, yeah, the, I guess the longer, the longer um, it's drug out and the more roadblocks, you know, people are, are feeling uh, that they don't have a choice, you know, that they, that it's like, well, I, you know, I, I have to try it or it, it does work for me, but my doctor won't prescribe it, but I'm going to get it somewhere. I'm going to get it one way or another, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if it, if it brings them uh, a little peace of mind, you know, and uh, allows them to sleep or uh, helps them with night terrors or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's. Uh, no, and that's a great point what you're bringing up and, you know, to, you know, kind of jump on Dr. Siegel's point is, you know, I'll never sit here and say medical cannabis is for every veteran. However, it should be a tool in the toolkit. And if it makes sense for that individual, then let's prescribe it to them. But if it doesn't, like if there's, you know, the Israelis, again, I'm just going to go off what they're saying is, you know, for our research, if people have a, a history of psychosis in their family, they believe that cannabis can exacerbate psychosis and can, you know, bring it out, which is not a good thing. Also, people with highly addictive um, tendencies might be a kind of a flag to look at. But again, you know, being a Schedule One narcotic, it is extremely difficult to conduct research on it. And we were very blessed to be given a, not just an institutional review board, but a private institutional review board, meaning we can use our own product to study and manipulate as needed versus working with the University of Mississippi and the National Institute of Drug Abuse program that they have, where I honestly think their cannabis would not even pass a third-party state test here in California due to the mold and just the terrible quality of cannabis it is. And again, I sometimes say it's just in the name of the organization, National Institute of Drug Abuse. I don't know if they're necessarily looking for the potential that it could provide on a medicinal level. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Siegel, um, if, if someone is currently residing in a state where it is not legal, it is not in a dispensary, you, you can't get it unless you buy it off the street. Um, right now- well, there, there are definitely states you know there, that it's uh, adult use where like if, if people can travel and they're oh you know 21 or over they can absolutely get get it legally right so all right then yeah that was that was kind of my question they can travel to a state where it is illegal but they're not allowed if they're in a state that doesn't allow it in any form okay all right it, can, then they cannot transport it back it's very complicated. So they if, so they can use it in the state they travel to, but they can't they can't bring it across state lines. They can't bring it back in. Right. It's a it's a huge problem. It's absolutely a very very big problem. Okay. And Which is I, allowing the right the illegal market to flourish. Right. Yeah. And, commerce. And God only knows what is you know, in, in the, in the, in the street, uh, supply, um, no, nobody really knows, you know, where, where, where it's cut. Well, we know where a lot of it's coming from, but we, you know, you don't know what's in it. Um, so the, you know, the testing is, is, uh, is paramount. That's, you know, most important that it does go through testing and, and that it's clean, you know, and it's, it's just, um, it's just the medical marijuana uh, and uh, and nothing else. So, and uh, you um, know, jump on that just for a safety issue. You know, I always tell people it's it's really difficult here in the state of California to decipher what is a legal versus an illegal market. And if you go into a dispensary, they should have their license displayed with a QR code that you can just take a quick picture of and look, and it will validate that it is a legal dispensary. Um, we one time just went into what we call trap shops, which are just illegal dispensaries. We bought three very well-known, uh, cannabis brands, uh, oil products, their vape lines. And we said to a third party state tester, and we just told them like, listen, this is not our stuff. We bought it here. We just want to take a quick look at it and see what's inside of it. They called us back after testing and they're like, please tell us you have that nowhere near your, your guy's stuff. I'm like, no, they're like, there is stuff in here that might potentially kill people. And then if you look at the certificate of analysis, which is your whole entire testing uh, form of what the cannabis has inside of it, 
all three of the COAs were exactly the same, but again, they were just three different brands. So one dealer, if you will, just replicated three boxes of well-known brands and put the same oil in them and sold them to a trap shop, which would have huge negative effects on people if they went in there and consumed it. So I always stress to people, if you're first time in a shop, make sure you find that license with the QR code and just take a picture and validate that you're actually in a legal cannabis dispensary. That's a great point. Thank, thank you for that. Um, absolutely. Do you think, um, I, I know you touched base on the CBD oil. Um, do you feel that that is better than nothing for, for some veterans that number one, they can't travel or, you know, if they do, you know, and it's like, well, now I can't bring it home. Now I can't, you know, I can't bring it back to where I live. Do you think that the CBD oil has enough of a benefit that, that they should be trying that if they can in their state? Uh, you know, I, I guess people can try what works for them. Again, like I think there is a real thing with the placebo effect. I am just a guy who once served in the military, so I just kind of tend to lean on the doctors and especially the Israelis who've had decades of research on cannabis. And again, they said they have not seen to this date CBD as a standalone have the effect that it needs compared to just, you know, again, a one to 300 uh, ratio with uh, THC to CBD with uh, cannabis. I mean, you look at things like Charlotte's Web that has helped out children with epilepsy. I mean, that is, again, like a one to 300 ratio. And the way they explained to me, they're like, you could have a really cool looking car, but if you don't have a nice engine, it's not going to go anywhere. And that's essentially what THC is, is to get into your endocannabinoid system and to allow the medicine to do the work it needs to do. Okay. So, it, I mean, it's it's an option, but it's not really, you know, a, um, a productive one. It's again, not going to get them there, yeah. It could. Again, I don't want to dissuade anyone. It's your journey. Um, again, I just go off of what the medical team that I'm working with says, uh, but you never know. They might have some big breakthrough with CBD, and that's a great thing, which would be amazing because, you know, once the uh, the farm bill went through, essentially CBD became federally legal. So there's a lot more easier ways to move around it versus if you, by chance, bought cannabis in, you know, California and drove to Texas and someone pulled you over, you became a felon, you know, so that's a, it's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, yeah, just I, I think that the study of cannabis, like whether it's CBD or THC, that like there's so much benefit potentially that you know the definitely much more intense studies needed for just the like various you know phytocannabinoids, uh, and and that can be you know how we can look forward to you know more types of of more natural medications that actually might be based on the you know. The, the phytocannabinoids in cannabis, and that will be directed towards the endocannabinoid system in our bodies. <laughs> right. Dr. Siegel, can, can you just, for the listeners, can you give them a perspective on the difference between the laws in California, where Brian's at, and the laws in New York, where you're at? What, um, I mean, are, I don't think they're similar, are they? <laughs> Well, the, the major thing is, I mean, yes, New York State is uh, adult use um, legal at this point, but the, the actual dispensaries haven't been been set up or, uh, you know, implemented yet. So medical, you know, cannabis is uh, similar in, in California and New York State. Um, but uh, I, I think that, you know, New York is evolving so quickly and, you know, New York one, I think that obviously it's a whole different thing can you know california has uh, it's been out it's, it's been um out you know as medical and adult use for many years already new york has a has a, a definite um you know looking at different states how they how they legalized things and how thing what things were better what things were worse and worked for different states i think that's really important for sure mm -hmm. um but i mean it, it, it's I think, are you talking about the different products that are available or that, you know, there's all kinds of various differences that could possibly be between as California far, and New York. Yeah, as far, now, if, if I understand you correctly, now there are, there are not dispensaries in the state of New York? There are medical dispensaries. There are not adult use or recreational dispensaries yet. They're getting set up. Like, 
Okay. You know, it's, okay. It's, it's it's just around the corner. Yeah, which okay. I think is a great thing because I, I I want everyone to learn from the mistakes of California. I mean, they had good intentions, just kind of got wrapped up into some confusion again of what is illegal and what isn't an illegal dispensary. You know, 1996, California was a state to allow medical use under what they called Prop 215. And it was essentially you're like a nonprofit collective. And so you had to have a certain amount of patients to rate how much cannabis you could grow and so on and so forth and had to have a medical card. Well, the problem with that is you had like once Prop 64 was voted on in 2016 and adult use was allowed, you have this ambiguity of like where is an illegal shop and where is an an illegal shop and for example i talked to a city council member up in los angeles and i said how many illegal dispensaries do you think are in the city of los angeles and he goes you know we don't know but there's more of them than there are starbucks to put things into perspective wow when you look at you know states like new york or michigan and you know you got new jersey they're all coming online I mean, their illegal shops was probably like Tom down the street in his garage, right? Like there wasn't like a big dispensary set up. So doing it this way, kind of having everything approved and adult use kind of moving a little bit more fast, I think it's going to be great because really the only established shops will be the legal shops. And they're not going to kind of run into that gray area that California is still combating. And we finally just kind of toughened up on some of the things that can happen to you if you're caught uh, owning an illegal dispensary, which was good because it really was kind of a slap on the wrist and they could care less because they're not paying taxes, any of that stuff. So they would just kind of ride it out, pay their fine and then move down the street and open up another illegal shop and wait for someone to come get them. So, you know, hopefully we get a little more tougher on the illegal market uh, and that will clean things up. Cause again, it's all about safety. Wow. Okay, um, Brian, uh, as far as the listeners go, how can they help you um, and, and you know, how can they get more information about what you're doing? Uh, you're very actively involved uh, in the industry. And so uh, what, you know, I'm going to have your links in the show notes um, and they can just reach out. Uh, you, you have a website, correct? Yeah, if they want to, uh, you know, you can learn more about Hellman Valley Growers Company if you go to uh, hvgcompany.com. And if they would like to help us out with their research, regardless where they are in the country, um, I should kind of take a step back here. You know, 100% of profits from Hellman Valley Growers Company products goes back to fund our research. But if people aren't in the state of California and they want to get behind us and help us out, you can go to our nonprofit, uh, battlebrothersfoundation.org, and make a donation, and that would greatly help us out because this is a very expensive research we're trying to conduct, and we're not getting much help from the federal government or anything. We're kind of doing this on our own. And I encourage all the listeners to go get Dr. Siegel's book. I read it. It's great. It captures you right in the beginning, and it just anyone can relate to. Okay, great. Well, um, I want to thank you, Brian, for being on the podcast with us, uh, Dr. Siegel. I want to thank you as well. And um, once again, your book is called The Brain on Cannabis, What You Should Know About Recreational and Medical Marijuana. So we will have links uh, for Brian and for you, Dr. Siegel, in the show notes. Uh, I encourage the listeners to get a copy of your book and they will be able to reach out to either one of you or both of you. And um I hope uh, they got some benefit from uh, from the episode. I did, and uh, it really drives home uh, the need for research and for progress, uh, especially in the veteran community. Which, of course, that's you know that's my whole thing. That's where I that's where I land is 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 in that group of uh, of men and women that uh, that served served our country. So. Uh, thank you, Dr. Siegel. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts? Uh, thank you for having me, for sure. And absolutely, we want to do this in a well-researched, safe, aware way. Absolutely, so physicians can get behind it. We want to think that of cannabis as a therapeutic option, for sure. Absolutely. It was a pleasure to have you on. Um, you're very welcome. Brian, thank you. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to end the episode like I always do. Um, it was great content. Thank you both for for awesome information. Um, but I'll end uh, episode 69 the way I always do. Remember uh, to love yourself. Take care of yourself. Love your little me because they need you more than you can imagine. So 
Until next time on the Men on a Mission podcast, bye for now. First to fight for the-